Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Welcome, everybody, to All About Alt Podcast. I am Jason. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Greg Cohen. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, bud. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, I'll give you guys some background and insight on Greg uh, here in just a minute, but those that uh, are recurring listeners, welcome back. Those that are new listeners, this show is all about alts, uh, as you can infer by the name, but we really try to be the crossroad between alternative investment strategies coupled with good tax saving incentives and tax advantaged opportunities. And so we're going to talk a lot throughout the course of this show about not only how we can use real estate and other alternatives as tools from an investment standpoint, but let's make sure that we're keeping as much of that money as we possibly can by coupling good tax strategy alongside it. So Greg, welcome. You are officially the first guest on the All About Alts podcast. Man, I'm blown away. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Always good to hang out with you, brother. Yeah. So, you know, Greg and I uh, go way back, although, you know, I think it's gotten to the point where it's hard to remember exactly how many years ago it's been at this point, but I'm going to say 15 and you can tell me if I'm over under on that. Is that about right? I think so, man. Can you believe that we're all like 40? You're 40 now, right? I turned 40 in about 10 days. Yeah. Now we're 40 years old. Can you believe we were running the show when we were 25 years old? We didn't really know what we were doing, but am I glad that I met good people like you? Yep. Well, now we got kids that run the show for us. So my how things have changed in the last 15 years, but you know, Greg, it's been so cool. And, you know, having met you and going all the way back to the Jacksonville Real Estate Investment Club, I think you were there trying to figure out with a couple of buddies, what's this real estate stuff and should I be buying it and and how does it look? And at the time, you know, going back doing the math, it was right about the very end of this boom market that we had. Almost feels a little eerie because it's maybe in some ways feels a little bit like it does today. On the surface, you certainly can think that. And yeah, if you could have chosen a time to start to invest in single family rental properties and, you know, throw your entire life savings and that of your family who was nice enough to share their retirement accounts with you to start a real estate company, 2006 was not the time that they would tell you to do that. But yeah, that's when my business partners and I chose to get started. Well, and it's amazing that you had to cut your teeth a little bit and bump through just an absolutely crazy real estate market in a rapid rise and then certainly a rapid fall. But I think it's testimony to the way you guys have navigated the market that here we are 15, 16 years later, having this discussion about what you're doing today. And it's just unbelievable to see some of the progress that you guys have made. Well, it's been quite a journey. And I would think everything happens for a reason. And you know, I learned so much through going through the process of acquiring about 40 rental properties in 2006 and 2007 and holding on to those assets through the great recession, still owning them and adding more since then. And, you know, I thought I loved this asset class because of the opportunities that come along with it. But what I really fell in love with it was about the recession resistance that comes along with it. So yeah, not too many people were able to acquire rental properties before the great recession still hold on to them since then. But it's one of those factors that makes this asset class so beautiful is how it performs in bad markets. 
Yeah, well, you guys have really had to work hard, you know, so Greg Cohen, for those that don't know him, is the co-founder of JWB Real Estate Capital, uh, based out of Jacksonville, but certainly pretty active, I think, in a lot of different markets, but Florida predominantly. You know, when Greg and his business partner started, you know, single family and over the course of 15, 20 years, they've been engaging in a lot of things. But uh, I just read a Business Journal article yesterday about not only are you guys buying and selling rental real estate and managing rental real estate. And I'll let you tell us a little bit more about kind of the conglomerate of activities that JWB handles. But tell me a little bit about this Jacksonville downtown project. I think you guys have nearly 20 city blocks that you guys have purchased for development and redevelopment. And the article specifically was about the old Federal Reserve building and some of the adjacent buildings that you guys have not only just renovated, but done in a and matched the historical template of downtown and revitalized it. But it sounds like you've got retail coming in and opportunity for some mixed use space as well as some short and long-term rentals. So what a cool article and kind of timely right before we jump on this podcast to talk about you know all the stuff that you're doing. And man, what a great thing to be out in the marketplace building out uh, from a downtown Jacksonville standpoint. So yeah, give us a little bit of background on that. Well, we're, we're very big proponents of Jacksonville. We started our company 17 years ago. We absolutely love living here. We love serving our clients from Jacksonville. We love building our team here. We have about 100 folks in our office here. And we're absolutely committed to Jacksonville. In fact, you know, a lot of folks assume that we go to different parts of the state and different parts of the country in search of inventory and opportunities. And we actually are a bit different. We've staked our, our flag here in Jacksonville and we're committed to one city because number one, we think we can have more of an impact uh, by focusing on one city. And then number two, we think it's better for our clients as well, actually reducing risk and finding opportunities within your own market and leveraging those relationships is really what we believe in. So I'll give you just the quick synopsis of what brought me here and kind of loop in some of the uh, articles that have been written about us for our downtown activity. You know, our business model is built on making investing in rental properties easy for the average and everyday investor. And for most people out there, in fact, there's a number of studies and polls that have been conducted and they ask people, what's the best long-term investment? And they, you know, offer stocks, bonds, CDs, real estate, of course, is one of the options. And every time they ask this question, real estate is the number one answer by far for most Americans. Majority of Americans think it's the best long-term investment. But then you actually go and ask those same investors the same questions and ask them, what do they have in their investment portfolio? And in the most recent Gallup poll, the answer was not number one, not number two, not number three, not number four. Fifth, the fifth most popular choice was real estate. So you got the thing that people want the most for their best long-term investment, but it's only the fifth most popular below stocks, bonds, CDs, things of that nature. And so long time ago, what that communicated to us was that there was a real challenge in the experience of investing in rental properties. And we built our entire business to be vertically integrated, which means we have all aspects under one roof. And the claim here and the thesis here for us is we want to make this the best experience. We want to make this easy for folks. So over the last 17 years, that's what we've attempted to do. Specifically, what that means is JWB goes and buys land or buys properties and we build homes or we renovate them. We then put a long-term resident in the home who signs a two or a three-year lease. And at that point, we just simply sell that asset to a client. The majority of our clients live outside of Jacksonville. They would not call themselves real estate investors. They're more busy professionals. 
they use our team and leverage our team and our experience to be able to make this an enjoyable experience for them and help them diversify out of the traditional stocks and bonds. So that's really our calling card. You know, we've been doing this for 17 years and have sold over 3,000 properties. We serve over 1,300 clients. They come to us from 49 states and 13 countries. And we just really have a blast at helping folks diversify out of those traditional asset classes and building uh, a better risk-adjusted portfolio for themselves with real estate as a part of that. Sounds like, Greg, from a chief marketing officer standpoint, you've got two states to really hone in on to, uh, to get the rest of the United States captured. So maybe we'll save that uh, as a question for later uh, as to what those two states are, maybe even let our guests, our participants today, guess as to what those states are. And maybe JWB will send them something, whomever gets it right. So we'll move off of that. But you know, you mentioned real estate as, as an asset class that everybody thinks is the best long-term investment yet. The accessibility certainly doesn't match that. And I, I love what you said. There's a big gap between the actual portfolio, right, of people versus the thought process of what their portfolio should look like. So it's amazing to see how many people you've been able to get out of the market, right? Not because it's a bad place, but because people believe there's better alternatives and actually into that passive level of real estate investing while they do own a piece of real estate, they do have tenants in there. It is professionally managed, but they don't actually have to deal with the toilets and the tenants, nor do they have to go out and figure out what to find and where do I shop and what's a good market and how do I underwrite it? It's incredible to see some of the ways you guys have been able to really pull people in. And I appreciate the difference you guys are making, getting that you know gap of accessibility of real estate really to the forefront. And hopefully over time, certainly hopefully in our lifetimes, we can actually see correlation between people's desire in terms of best investments, as well as the portfolios lining up. So I think we still got some room to do to get that bumped up. You and I both, man, let's keep that mission statement strong because, you know, with your company and with our company and with others like it, you know, you really can have a seat at the table for some of these other wonderful asset classes that really help folks have a better overall financial portfolio. And I just think a better quality of life. Yeah, well, real estate certainly provides that. And it's just been an amazing asset class. And even, you know, as the Fed has tried to cool that asset class with, you know, rising interest rates and managing that, it's been really tough to cool off. It Going back to 05, it feels eerily similar, but just so much different than it does back then. So maybe where's your, from a personal standpoint, from a JWB standpoint, you know, what are you seeing and what are current market conditions from an interest rate standpoint and its impact and opportunity as it relates to real estate, maybe in Jacksonville and beyond? You know, coming off of the heels of the last two years, you know, I think it was easy to predict, you know, a year ago or two years ago that, you know, this real estate and rental property, specifically in a growing population like Jacksonville, was going to do very well. As I look now at the real estate market, I think it is a great opportunity to invest, but it's for a different reason, right? This isn't the time where you're going to see double digit appreciation. That's just not normal. But now when you look at the investing landscape out there and you compare the opportunity to invest in an asset which is stable and consistent and actually has rents that are still going up and is uh, known to preserve capital with some upside, like investing in rental properties in a population like Jacksonville, that looks a whole lot better than the alternatives out there. Stocks, bonds, you name it out there, there is really not a good place for investors to feel safe about putting their money right now. I mean, who would have thought that we even had to question putting money in banks 
I mean, this is really the tough place that investors are at, you know, and so I think that the media likes to really jump on this potential crash bandwagon when it comes to real estate. But the data just doesn't suggest that that is happening here. And, you know, you and I were both here in, you know, 2006. And so we felt what it was like to see a market actually go through a crash in 2007, 8, 9, 10. But the data underlying the market today versus that time could not be any more different. The biggest difference here is that we are chronically undersupplied for housing in much of the country and definitely in Jacksonville. And no matter what the Fed does, that's not going to solve the chronic undersupply problem that we have. And when I say that's a problem, what that means is that leads to price stability. And over time, it leads to price increases. Now, the Fed can certainly take a swing at that. And by raising interest rates to a really high number, that can dampen demand, which we've seen. But goodness, I mean, people need to realize that through the Great Recession and through as long as we have been tracking rents across the country, rents have never decreased on a national level. This asset class is incredibly resistant. So I think it is a great time to invest in rental properties. It's what we're continuing to do. It's what we continue to advise our clients to do. And it's because this asset class is stable, but it's also because of just simply asking the question, where else are you going to put your money right now and preserve capital? It's the million dollar question and it never gets easier, but yet the light continues to come back to real estate as being easy. And so, you know, I think what's so different, at least in the marketplace, and you're probably seeing this as well, is that, you know, what you're seeing from a buyer standpoint is real buyers, you know, and what we saw back in 2005 was really artificial demand because everybody was buying everything. And, and there's an element of that. And certainly, you know, the Black Rocks and some of these big, you know, Fortune 100 companies that are buying some real estate, they're having an impact, but it's such a small dent. This is not an investor-based marketplace, you know, waiting for the music to stop and see who's stuck holding real estate that doesn't have tenants. There's been an undersupply of real estate. And when you look at places like Florida, we're not undersupplied. We're undersupplied for the people that are here today. We're not factoring in the thousand new people that are coming here on a regular basis. And so the amount of supply that we need and is required to having stability in terms of a place to live and easily finding affordable housing, we're well behind that number. And so I don't see that changing anytime soon. Although rising interest rates do create opportunity and they will naturally create some challenges and, and we'll continue to see how that plays out. Greg, I want to kick you over to something, and this is a brand new podcast, so you really haven't had a chance to kind of see how we play our cards. And so other than a quick rundown prior, Greg is is a little bit at the mercy of what we and, and Maggie, our producer, kind of throw at him. So we're going to go ahead and launch right into our quirky question of the day. Now, Greg, we started this because I'm sure in all of your travels and presentations, there's always kind of that person in the room that's always you know, asking questions. Sometimes they're the naysayer to everything you say, but they're always inevitably as someone that asks some sort of question that's so out of left field. And uh, I shared on the last podcast that I used to get frustrated. You know, it's like, why is this guy or girl throwing this at me? And I really have grown to embrace it. I think I, I now look forward to getting that quirky question. So we've got a couple questions. These come in from our listeners and readers. We keep a list of them here. And, and Maggie, as the producer, gets to pull out a few of them. So she puts them here in some envelopes. I haven't read them either. So if I chuckle when I'm reading them, it's because it's the first time I'm seeing it. If you do have questions, you can go ahead and email those 
those over to Maggie with a Y, M-A-G-G-Y at newviewtrust.com. Don't forget we spell it with a U. So it's Maggie at newviewtrust.com and she can get those added to the list. And who knows, maybe they'll appear on one of the future All About Ops podcasts. So, all right, Greg, you ready to go? I'm going with the first envelope on the top. Almost seems like too easy. Oh, that seems like a perfect one. Here we go. Quirky questions of the day. This is great. Oh man, this is this is good. Oh, All right, Greg, these are important, maybe more important than anything we've talked about or anything we're about to talk about. So this is the time to put your real thinking cap on and wow our listeners. Question number one, is a hot dog a sandwich and why? Oh man, that just makes me think of that Harry Carey skit from Saturday Night Live. Well, Will Ferrell was acting like Harry Carey and just makes me thinking he asked a, just a really timeless question. Can I throw a question right back at you in response? I, to I suppose question? so. You know, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? I don't know. That's going to require some thought on mine. Maybe I'll answer that before the end of the show, but I'm going to put you back on the spot, right? Is it a, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? And why? Yeah, it definitely is a sandwich because it's surrounded by a bun. Okay. There's not anything I could debate that would suggest otherwise. I think you got, yeah, two, I mean, two pieces of bread and something in between. I think I feel very convicted in that as well. You, you know, so, I mean, I don't know where that conviction came from, but you know what? That's how I feel about it. All right. Well, there you have it. A hot dog is a sandwich. It's like Worcestershire. If you say it with confidence, everybody will believe and support it. So well done, Greg. Question number two, if you could get rid of one month out of the year completely, what month would it be and why? Oh, man, one of these hot ones here in Jacksonville. So I'm going to go with probably June. Uh, I would say July, but, you know, I love July 4th and, you know, August is, is rough. But then my kid's birth, one of my child, kid's birthdays is then. So, yeah, I'm going to go with June. June it is. All right. So you're getting ready right summer break for the kids. Yeah, you're going to make some enemies maybe with that. But certainly the heat would be a driving force behind June. I was just out at a conference uh, in Utah and there was a few people that were saying, oh, we're gearing up to move to Florida. And, and I said, you know, have you been out there this time of year? You know, we usually recommend for those of you that come from cooler climates, you may want to move in October or November, you know, brace your family, your spouse, your kids. If you move right in, it's baptism by fire and fire being the, the key component. So I'm with you on one of those hot summer months, June, July, August. You could have almost any one of those from a, a weather standpoint. All right. Question number three, and this is an important one. What is the worst fashion or hair decision you've ever made? This is really funny. So we have a store, a JWB store, and can go on and our team can purchase JWB apparel or whatnot. So I was on the JWB store the other day and I was buying, I'm not much of a fashion guy, but I was buying some different things. Well, I bought this shirt and it's got some really nice JWB stitching in it and whatnot. And I bring it, uh, you know, I had it delivered and I I put it on ready to go to work. I go to work and apparently it was not much of a hit. My entire team was making fun of me. It looked a little bit like a rodeo shirt. That was the thing. So we did like a a special video of how bad my wardrobe is. So that was probably the, the worst fashion purchase that I've made for quite a while. But here's the reality. My mom still helps me with my fashion. She still helps me buy shirts. So I just shouldn't be buying any shirts. That's probably the worst thing I can do for for fashion in general. 
So you went outside of your normal, you had trusted advisors, right? Mom is there. You went outside of the pre-built-in support system and it didn't work out well for you. Did not, did not. It's a shirt that forever live in infamy. Well, I guess the real question is, can we get a picture or a copy of that? And can we get that into the show notes? I'm sure uh, some of the listeners would probably be thinking to themselves, you know, I've got a, an image in my head of what a Rodeo JWB shirt looks like on you. It could be totally different than everybody else's. So yeah, maybe we'll have to to get that. The good news, and you guys will find out a little bit later in the show, Maggie, our producer, is a sleuth on the internet. And so I got a feeling that if that picture exists and someone somewhere somehow has posted that in any way, shape, or form. She may already have it, so who knows? We may see it before the end of the day today. Well, Greg, you have survived the quirky questions of the day. Congratulations. Thank you for your answers. And I appreciate the conviction on the hot dog being a sandwich. That has solved the mystery for a lot of folks out there. (laughs) My pleasure, guys. That was great. Cool. Well, you know, as much as as we could sit here and go through all the envelopes of quirky questions, I think our listeners want to take advantage of the fact that we've got Greg and his experience on today's show. So one of the things, if you don't mind, that I'd love to just maybe kick a little dialogue off is, you know, we have probably had the discussion on stocks versus real estate no more than a hundred times in any of our get togethers over the years. And I've always loved your perspective, but you study this stuff, you live in this world. And so let's dialogue a little bit about kind of that stocks versus real estate, right? And so taking that comment you made earlier that, you know, everybody puts real estate as the top of the list for best long-term investment, yet it ranks fifth on the list of actual portfolios. So why do you think that is? We talked a little bit about maybe accessibility, but you know, let's talk a little bit about what is the real inherent difference between these two asset classes and what people should be considering and why maybe one is better, more opportunistic than the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a, a lack of education when it comes to what comprises the returns on investment between stocks, bonds, real estate. You know, unfortunately, I think it leads people to make poor decisions. And there's no reason that an asset that has been as stable and as consistent and that has certainly upsides as well as, you know, tax savings inherent to it, like rental properties and real estate, there's no reason that that asset shouldn't at least have a seat at the table for most Americans' investment portfolios. But you look today and you know the overwhelming of percentage of investors simply just have stocks and bonds in their assets. So I was thinking about this and you know in our team meetings we get the opportunity to share and to you know teach a little bit every once in a while. And so I had the opportunity not too long ago and I was sitting down and I was like, all right, let me put a case study together to show a comparison of The last 20 years, if you had invested in the S&P 500, the stock market, or if you had invested in bonds, or if you had owned a Jacksonville rental property, and see how it would have shaken out over the past 20 years. And so I sat down to do this, and the night before, I was just putting the finishing touches on the presentation, and I look over at my wife, and I'm like, hey, babe, what do you think about this? Is this going to be a great presentation? What do you think? And of course, my wife, who's honest at all points, she looks at me and she goes, that's boring. (laughs) <laughs> she said, you got to come up with something better. So I started to think more about this and I wanted, and if it's okay with you, Jason, I would love to kind of share my thoughts on stocks, bonds, rental properties through the context, through the lens of one of the great American stories of all time. Is that okay with you? You had me a great American story. So yeah, hit us, Greg, right. hit us. I've heard you're a big Karate Kid fan. 
Are you oh, a of big course karate? I am. Who isn't? <laughs> so here's how I think about this. We're going to put this in the context of the Karate Kid, okay? So the Karate Kid, now I'm going to test your knowledge on the Karate Kid here, all right? So what was the group, the sensei, the, the dojo of kind of the, the incumbent there? Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, right? Do you remember the guy, the blonde-haired guy, Johnny, who was really menacing? Remember Johnny? Yep, yep. All right. So think about Johnny and Cobra Kai as stocks and bonds, all right? And think about Danny LaRusso, you know, he is your, your Jacksonville rental property, okay? So on the surface, you've got stocks and bonds. You've got Cobra Kai and they've got the fancy, I don't, what are those things called that they wear? I'm not much of a karate fan. I don't know. I don't I know. Don't know. I, I can't remember. But, you know, the black that's menacing, whatever he's wearing, it looks really good. And then Danny on the other side. You know, he's not looking too sharp, right? He's a skinny kid, just moves to the area. If you're thinking about who's going to win the All-Valley Championship, the Karate Championship, the Martial Arts Championship, you're definitely going with Cobra Kai. Well, it's kind of how I think about stocks and bonds. On the surface, when you look at stock price appreciation, let's just take, for example, you're going to see that stock price appreciation is typically higher than home price appreciation. And so I went and I looked back, and over the last 20 years in the S&P 500, Stocks have appreciated at a rate of 7.6% per year on average. You know, and if you look at rental properties, uh, they appreciated 5.2% per year. Still pretty good, but less than stocks. And of course, bonds, you know, they're not appreciating anything. You're holding those to maturity. So you don't have much upside on bonds. Now, on the income side, the stock market typically doesn't pay a dividend. But if you do get one in the S&P 500, it's typically one or maybe 2%. Bonds, you're getting, and when I did this case study together, you got a 5% yield, a 5% coupon, which was pretty good if you had invested in a 30-year treasury bond. And then rental properties, let's just assume that it's 0%. Assume it's break-even every single month. So on one hand, you've got stocks, which have a little bit of income and the most appreciation. You've got bonds, which have a lot of income, but no appreciation. And then you've got rental properties. Danny LaRusso coming in at, you know, no cash flow and lower appreciation. All those three things combined, you know, Jason, if you're just looking at those on the surface, which would you think to invest in? Oh, I'm going Cobra Kai. Yeah. I mean, it looks better. It gives me more confidence. It feels like they know what they're doing. They've been here, done that, right? Tried and true. So yeah, I'm going Cobra Kai all day long. That's what most people think as well. And, you know, you've got a place here where not only on the surface, when you look at just the top level numbers, do most people think about Cobra Kai or going with stocks and bonds? But, you know, I think real estate, it's a little bit intimidated too by Johnny and by Cobra Kai too, right? Like, you know, you got newspaper articles, you got the media out there just waiting for a crash, just kind of intimidating. And if you think about Danny back in the day, before he met a very special individual, he was not reaching his full potential. But then he met that special individual. What was his name, Jason? Oh, it's Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Come on, you're, you're making this too easy for me. Mr. Miyagi came and he unlocked the potential of Daniel's son, right? He taught him how to be a better person, not just a better fighter, but a better person to have self-confidence. And he unlocked the greatness of Danny. Well, I think that's what we can do here if we start to understand the different profit centers in rental property investing. 
So the first profit center, do you remember what the first thing that Miyagi was teaching Danielson? It had to do with something about growing something over time. Do you remember what he was teaching him? Is that the bonsai tree? The bonsai. Very good, buddy. Very good. So he was teaching him a bonsai and bonsai grows over time. And that's kind of like net rental income, you know? So what's really surprising for most people is during this case study, after 20 years, even though rental property started out with zero cash flow, they had just about as much actual net rental income as stocks did or bonds did. And it's because your rents grow over time while your expenses, and especially your big expense, stays flat. And so what happens is even if you buy a rental property, you don't get any cash flow day one, don't let that stop you because over time you're going to get better and better cash flows and you'll actually catch up with the stock market and with bonds in this case study that we put together. You think most people understand that? I've bought and sold plenty of real estate and own real estate. And I think, you know, hearing you say that is something that it's really hard as an investor, right, to look past what the investment is today. And it is a very challenging place to be. If you look at rents going up, it's so logical, right? It's not rocket science, not, not to diminish the thought process behind it. But from an investment standpoint, if I go make an investment, it costs me $1,800 a month and the rental on it's $1,800 a month, that feels like a loss, right? It just feels like it's a loss because why would I make an investment that barely pays for itself today? Now I'm just going to be pulling money out of my pocket. I think what you're saying to, to our listeners is it's the opposite. You know, you're actually making some small little investments maybe here and there, but the reality is in very short order, hopefully, right, as rents go up and your expenses stay the same or don't rise nearly as drastically, that cash flow compounds and actually gets better and better and better over time. Well, I think you, you said that extremely well, right? What I find, and I would love to hear if you find this to be the same, in talking with thousands of investors across the country, investors are singularly focused on cash flow and it's cash flow day one and you know there's nothing wrong with cash flow all things considered equal i would like to have more cash flow than the alternative however if you are singularly focused on cash flow and you use that to make your decision and you do not take advantage of some assets simply because they don't have an additional 25 dollars a month of cash flow you might be making some decisions that actually hurt you in the long run you know, I really work with investors and help them take off their cash flow blinders. And so, you know, cash flow is important. We want to have an asset that pays for itself every single month. But there are some markets out there where you might get more cash flow, but you might give up home price appreciation or some tax savings or principal pay down or other advantages. And so I think people really need to have a big picture outlook to make sure they can have the best portfolio for themselves. That certainly is some food for thought on the cash flow side. I know, you know, the old school rule of thumb was at 1%, right? If you can't get 1% of purchase price on a monthly basis, it may not be a good investment. And, you know, there's a lot of deals I think people have, have kind of back of the napkin and said, ah, it doesn't hit the 1%, let's move on. And, you know, five years ago, if they'd have bought those or three years ago, you know, or even two years ago when the numbers didn't line up, you know, they'd be so far ahead of that 1% today based on rental proceeds because the price of the house isn't getting any more expensive if you own it, but the rental proceeds can change. So really appreciate that. Love the Karate Kid, you know, analogy through that. And, you know, I can't help but wonder, your wife will tell you that the presentation was boring, 
but she let you out of the house in the rodeo shirt. You know what? I called her out for that too. When I got home from work that day, I was like, babe, how could you let me leave like this? And she just said, you know what? Sometimes you got to let your husband make his own mistakes. You know what? I love that. And when we get to the learn before you burn section, I'll come back to that one and we'll talk a little bit about that. You know, maybe taking that analogy a step further and kind of continuing to think through that. What are the critical factors, right? I mean, we tend to look at stuff in in cash flow, right? It's return. If I put in X, I get back Y. And appreciation is always a scary thing to bet on, right? But cash flow is one of the few things that it's never guaranteed, but cash flow can provide great return. And, you know, I always analogize the stock market and the real estate market around cash flow is, you know, where else can you get appreciation and income? right? You know, most investments, you're getting one or the other, right? Buy a bond and got great income, but no appreciation. Buy a stock, you got opportunity for great appreciation, but very little opportunity for income. So how do you guys navigate through that in terms of marrying both, you know, appreciation opportunity coupled with the ability to cash flow those over time? Well, I think you have to look at how investment portfolios actually are comprised when it comes to their return on investment. And that should be your guide. So many people have so much of priority that they put on cash flow. And what they're creating is a portfolio that might be more cash flow coming to them, but a smaller pie, a smaller overall return on investment. And one of the benefits that we get to to have and to share with clients is, you know, I manage over $800 million of rental property portfolios. I've been doing it for 17 years and we track all of our clients' returns on a monthly basis. And so I'm able to sit down and say, okay, this client that's owned a property for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, right? How has their overall return on investment come to be? Of the five profit centers, what percentage is cash flow? Which is the biggest profit center? And you know what we come to find is that home price appreciation over the long haul is 60 to 80% of the total pie. It's 60 to 80% of the total return on investment. And when I look at clients that own a property for two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, it doesn't matter. It is always the biggest contributor to the overall return on investment. So to get to your question, you know, how do we think about it? Well, one thing that that tells me when I see over and over again, that 60 to 80% of your total portfolio comes in the form of home price appreciation, I don't think you can ignore it. And most investors just simply want to ignore home price appreciation. And so, and I think that's a mistake. The thing about home price appreciation is that in the short run, nobody really knows exactly what home prices are gonna do in a year, two years, three years. It's been that way ever since we've been tracking home price appreciation. But in the long run, over full market cycles, the same home price appreciation tends to happen in your market. Since 1982, in Jacksonville, we've averaged 4.6% home price appreciation. And what most people don't realize is that if you go back from 10 to 20 year segments of time, all the way to 1982, and you take that 10 year segment of time or that 20 year segment of time, what you're going to see on average is that average home price appreciation always comes out right to around four and a half percent for Jacksonville. And it's not just Jacksonville. It will be for any market out there because most people say the term real estate is cyclical, but they fail to draw the connection that real estate being cyclical means that home prices tend to repeat themselves 
yep. over the long haul. So if you are an investor and you plan to hold on to the property for a long time, which is the way to win in owning real estate, it's almost like you have the answers to the test. If you go back and you see which markets have appreciated more for the last 40 years, you can use that assumption to know that your home price appreciation over the next 20 years will be very similar. And if you know that, and you also invest in a market where you still can get positive cash flow, well, that's how you build a better portfolio. That's how you wind up with a bigger pie, you know, over the next market cycle. You know, it's amazing when you talk about that long-term cycle. And I will say, you know, the stock market offers something similar in terms of there is a norm and, you know, the worst thing you can do is try to time it on the up or the downside. And, you know, kind of that learn before you burn, you know, I learned the hard way. You know, I sold three stocks in March of 2020, right after COVID, and I sold them at a 30% drop. Now, you know, they both, all three went on to, to double and triple, but it was literally Netflix, Apple, and Amazon. And, you know, it underscores the fact that you can't time the market. And, you know, I viewed this is the time when stuff drops. And so I've, I no longer have any value to own. And what I realized looking back now is that why would it have mattered? Would it have mattered if I was going to hold it? I didn't need the cash, right? Because if I needed the capital, that certainly would be. I didn't have another investment to make, right? Because that would be another reason to sell the asset, right? You either need cash or you believe you have a better opportunity in. Outside of that, you should never sell. I had neither of those two things. And I violated the very simplest rule of always be long unless you have to be short because you're never going to time the market. And so, you know, I think in real estate, that parallel is so true. And if you buy today and prices depress 20%, it's going to feel like you lost 20% until, right, five years, six years, three years, seven years, 10 years. And the law of averages starts to play back out. And you realize that the cash flow for the last five years is better than sitting and waiting on the sidelines. Now you've got five years of mortgage pay down. You've got five years of ownership and cash flow. And so those things all boil out. I do want to close this segment out. I do want to touch on interest rates from a philosophical standpoint, right? I mean, obviously you can look at historical interest rates and, you know, people could make the case that interest rates are high in reality over the historical norms. They're still not high, right? But knowing what a zero interest rate economy looks like, yes, interest rates are higher. What's your stance on interest rates as it relates to buying real estate? And, you know, certainly that impacts cash flow, right? I mean, that will undoubtedly ensure that uh, that there's less cash flow or less meat on the bone each year, uh, at least in the early years. So let's just maybe talk quickly, if, if you don't mind, on kind of what your advice to our listeners is around interest rates and understanding what that really means as it relates to buying a piece of property. If it's okay, Greg, to put some boundaries, we're going to stick to rental property, forget about raw land or any other sort of just appreciation only type play. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think, you know, it's all relative when it comes to interest rates, because what we've experienced over the last two years has just been not normal. And being able to buy an investment property have an interest rate in the threes is just not normal. We knew it wasn't normal then. We knew it wasn't going to last. So I know it's tough to stomach the fact that we have interest rates in the sixes and, and whatnot now. But a little bit of perspective, I think, will help folks as well. I mean, we live in a country where the access to inexpensive debt that you can hold for 30 years is available to almost every American. And that's just not normal. And that type of debt, I think, is the greatest tool to help people reach their financial goals. You go to 
I think there's only two countries in the world that have 30 year mortgages. You know, the rest of the countries out there look at the United States and think, oh my goodness, they would love to get their hands on, you know, inexpensive debt and, and to be able to use other people's money as freely as we do. And so I, I hope people keep that in the back of their minds that we have this great opportunity if we can learn and master smart debt that you really can take advantage of. The other thing I'd point to is that when I started to build my rental property portfolio in 2006, my interest rates were about seven and a half percent on my rental properties. And I looked at that and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's great. You know, and why did I think that was great? It was for two reasons. I knew that I was borrowing somebody's money at seven and a half percent and I was going to make 10 or 12 or 14 percent. You know, as a financial engineer, I'm constantly looking for those opportunities. And then the other part of it is that it produced positive cash flow for me. And so now we are in a higher interest rate environment, but I think it comes down to thinking about where are you going to put your money right now? So I'm not very keen on putting my money in the stock market or in bonds, or really, I can't think of another asset class that makes me excited right now. So that's something to take into account. And if you are going to invest in real estate, if it still produces positive cash flow, along with the other four profit centers, I think taking out debt is a very smart move right now. The other thing about this is that by buying assets right now, even if interest rates are higher today, which they likely are compared to where they will be in the future, there's no reason that you can't refinance in one, two, three, four years, pull out hopeful equity that you build up, and then of course reduce the rate. So yeah, I think investing right now, even though rates are higher than we all want, I still think it can be a very strong move for those who are looking to build financial wealth. Yeah, well, I appreciate that perspective. And I think you nailed something that I don't think enough people really factor in is that think about this strategy, right? You have a free opportunity to change something when the wind gets to your back. So if you buy a property today and you get a 6% rate and you think that's high, you're not shunned out if the rates drop to three. You can actually refinance and keep the same purchase price. Yet, if interest rates drop from 6% to 3%, you're going to see the price of real estate rise. And so while you think you're getting a better deal because you only have a 3% interest rate, you're going to pay probably more in a premium for the real estate. Whereas if interest rates do go up and you're locked in at 6%, you look like a genius because you actually have a lower interest rate than the market bears, which makes your property worth more in the marketplace. So interest rate arbitrage, if you will, is probably the greatest opportunity that real estate can offer because it's the only way that you have this upside, you have the ability to leverage, and then yeah, you can just manage the interest rate as its own asset class over time. So I'm really glad that you touched on that. I think that's something that not enough people are really helping the marketplace understand is that interest rate is not a permanent decision. It's only permanent when it no longer favors you. And when the benefit is in your side, make it less permanent and move into something better. So Greg, thank you so much for kind of that comparison. I love the Karate Kid analogy. Thank you for letting me show off a bit of my Karate Kid knowledge. I think as a kid in the 80s, I was raised on Karate Kid. So it's been fun. I I don't know if you've watched with your kids, but the sequels, the newer ones, I have to say, you know, from a nostalgia standpoint, I always cringe a little bit when there's a new movie coming out and it's like, that's my childhood, you know, but my son and I have really enjoyed watching those together as well. So different names and slightly different characters, but the storyline's still the same and just as good. That's really funny. I actually haven't watched the new one, but as I was giving this presentation, somebody came up to me and they said, you know what? 
I even like this analogy even more because, you know, I think in the newest ones, Danny, I think, and you'll have to fill me in here, but I think Johnny asks like Danny for a loan at some point, or Johnny is trying to like, needs a helping hand from Danny. And I was like, there you go. Jack's rental properties, <laughs> beating stocks and bonds in the long run. So pretty uh, good It stuff. all comes full circle, doesn't it? Let's move into one more segment that we have here. And I wanted to quickly run you through the lightning round. This puts you on the hot seat a little bit. I think it's so important for our listeners to really get to know people personally. I think sometimes we get on podcasts and we all pontificate about what we do and we're all so smart and we all know how real estate works. But you know what? We're all human beings at the same time. And I've been fortunate, Greg, to know you and call you a friend for the last 15 plus years. But we're going to dig a little bit now. Maggie, our producer, is a sleuth. I warned you uh, a little bit earlier about this. So I've got a, a couple of things that I want to kick in and, and I may even take us down memory lane a little bit. So Maggie, if we're ready, I've got a picture I want to show you. For those that can't see, I just kicked it up on the screen and Greg looks like he's face palming a little bit. This is Greg. If I had to guess, he's probably about 10 years old, 11 years old. He's wearing a seminal pony baseball jersey and he's got an apple stuck in his teeth, an entire one, like he just bobbed for it. So Greg, help us here, maybe put a caption on this so we can get to know maybe 10-year-old Greg a little bit better. Oh, man, Maggie, I, you are incredible. Your sleuth skills are unmatched. And Jason, thank you for giving you know this little beautiful memento of my childhood a platform here. So I'm supposed to caption this thing right off the top of my head? Yeah, just give us some background. What's going on here, well, Greg? This is kind of like how I started investing in rental properties. In 2006, I was in corporate America. I wasn't happy with my career path. I was depressed and you know, in a tough spot. A friend gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I grabbed one of my best friends and we said, we're going to start our own real estate investment company and start to acquire single family turnkey rental properties. And we just dove right in. We just went you know straight in just dunked our heads right in bought 40 rental properties and you know that that kicked off a 17 year journey so that's what that makes me think of as i was bobbing for apples here when i was 10 years old playing for seminal pony baseball that was you bobbing for apples and it looks like you were successful there we go i got one all right second item and i'll let you put some context on this but it appears that there's some internet chatter and dialogue around your daughter and a rabbit <laughs> Goodness, what did you guys find here? Can you maybe just help us understand and, and all the curious minds out there that have been digging into your past as well, what's going on with your daughter and this rabbit? Oh, so I came home from work one day and you guys haven't met Alex Safakis. He's one of my business partners, been my best friends since high school, actually, and he lives right down the street from me and our families are really close. And so his wife came over one day and I got home from work and I see his wife leaving the house and she said, hi, Greg. And it was weird because we're super tight and she just kind of like exited and I keep walking through the house to the patio and there I see my lovely daughter, Isabella, holding this beautiful white bunny. Have you ever had an animal just dropped off, a new pet just dropped off at your house, Jason? When I was a kid, yes. As an adult, with uh, thankfully, no. Um, but I'm sure my days are numbered. <laughs> yeah. So that was the beginning of Daisy joining our family, our lovely bunny. And there have been calls for Daisy to have a friend, which you could have planned that one coming here pretty soon because, of course, Daisy's lonely. And what do you do? You don't want to make the, the bunny lonely. So we're currently working through that decision in the Cohen house at the moment. 
Okay, well, you know, that explains all the buzz on the internet. Uh, and we're certainly glad that Isabella has the bunny and, and uh, we wish you all the best of luck in hopefully keeping, I think, is it a litter? You know, I'm not even sure the appropriate term, but I hope it doesn't grow beyond a friend and into some sort of new family. So good luck with that, Greg. Mm -hmm. Last lightning round question, and this one's personal, and I've been waiting a long time to ask this. So a couple of years ago, Greg was kind enough to invite me up to Jacksonville to come play around to golf and get on his podcast. Now, when he sold it to me, you know, it was, hey, come up and we're doing this kind of podcast while we play golf. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I love the concept, but I'm a terrible golf player, you know, but absolutely to come and spend some time on the golf course with you, Greg, let's do it. But I really want to know, and I want your honest answer here. Did you invite me up for the content and camaraderie that you thought I'd bring? Or did you just bring me up because you knew I was a patsy and you could work me on the golf course? <laughs> and for the record, he did work me on the golf course. Make no mistake. I spent a lot of time now. I will say this. I got my money's worth on that golf course from a per shot standpoint. But but yeah, Greg, I've been pondering that. It's kept me up many Brother, nights. You know, you know what, what was more important to you? Man, I loved having you up. I loved hanging out with you, playing around the golf. I'll tell you, you know, we were just starting our podcast back in the day. You remember what we were calling that segment? Hey, you're going to have to catch me up. I don't. That was, that was the big marketing idea that Greg had at that point in time. It was, it was nine on nine. We were going to ask nine questions right. to our esteemed guests like yourself while we're playing golf. And it sounded like the greatest thing that I could ever come up with from a marketing standpoint, because that meant I would have been playing a lot of golf. I'll tell you, I have a, a great respect for the national broadcast as far as actually filming golf and making it entertaining to film <laughs> golf, because we soon ran into some challenges, not because you and I weren't entertaining. I mean, clearly we were entertaining, but hard to film outdoors and the variables and all that good stuff. So I super appreciated hanging out with you. You know that I would love to have you up for more nine on nines, but you know the, the technical difficulties have prevented us from doing that more often. All right. Well, I assumed that was the case, but I did have to just ask when I had you on the, the hot seat. So it certainly was good fun. And I love the concept, but kind of looking at it, hosting our own podcast now, I can see where maybe some of those challenges would come in. Thankfully, when I throw some of those ideas out, Maggie won't even let them get all the way out of my mouth before she's telling me, let's pivot, you know, mm -hmm. let's move on to something else. So we're certainly thankful for her guidance. Let's wrap uh, this podcast up. And let me just say, Greg, thank you for being here. Thanks for kicking off this guest performance. We're looking forward to future guests that we uh, are fortunate enough to get on the show. But we certainly struck gold in being able to get Greg and his wisdom and understanding of the marketplace and sharing that. And, and also, Greg, thanks for being a good sport and having some fun with us. I've got one last question as we close out today. But any last words of commentary before we, we get to the learn before you burn section? It's great to have such a strong relationship with you and with the New View Trust team. Uh, you know, I, the, you think about how rare it is to have relationships that span decades. And that's the type of relationship I've been able to have with you as a friend and with New View and with JWB. So I just I think that is uh, really something I'm thankful for and really appreciate you guys having me on the podcast, bud.
Yeah, well, we certainly feel the same way and hard to believe time uh, continues to just fly by us. So uh, we'll look forward to what this discussion looks like 15 years from now, although I don't think our listeners will let us wait that long to get you back on the podcast. So as we close out every show with our learn before you burn section, I mentioned earlier, I was going to bring up a couple things to help people understand what this is. You know, learn before you burn is something that, you know, we talk a lot about and that is how do you get the lesson without the experience, right? How do we actually understand the outcome without actually having to go through the outcome? It's the old touching the stove, you know, proverb, right? How do you know the stove is hot and not want to touch it? Yet why do we as kids constantly want to put our hand on there? We really don't get it until we touch it ourselves. And so, you know, this is something we talk a lot about. It's a big, big thing for me is how do we decouple this experience and lesson and how do we learn from others? So, you know, one of the things that you guys can all learn from me and my story about selling stocks is that, you know, you can't be emotionally driven to make any investment decision to buy or sell. And that's exactly what I was. And I know better, right? I've been told not to touch the stove and guess what? You know, I reached up and touched the stove and it hurt. And for the next two years, I got to watch those stocks all climb and sit there and think to myself, well, that was really dumb, right? And so that's a learn before you burn kind of pull forward. Greg, I'm gonna put you on the spot and give you a chance, you know, what's an experience coupled with a great lesson that you've got that you wanna share and maybe help our listeners get this full-blown lesson, but not get the experience. So. What's the hot stove you don't want our listeners to touch, Greg? I'll tell you, one of the greatest lessons that we learned as a company happened back in 2011, 2012. We were just starting to hit our stride as a company. We started in 2006, and I think we sold 175 properties in 2011 and, or 2012. And, and that, was, that was a really big moment for us. And right after that moment, you know what? We developed this idea that just because we had had success in helping folks build a rental property portfolio, that we could also have success in building a real estate brokerage. And then we had thoughts of building a title company. And then, of course, we were going to build you know, a loan servicing company as well. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? It's so close. And before you knew it, we had this vision of creating a one-stop shop. And I remember presenting this to our team and the team was really excited about it. We had probably 25, 40 people, maybe somewhere between there in, in our office. And I just remember thinking that they were really excited, but I, I remember the sense of dread afterwards, like about a month afterwards. And it was because in order to do all of these things, we had to create so many distractions. And that actually was one of the worst decisions we ever made. And it happened right after we had a little bit of success. So maybe the nugget that I could leave with everybody is, you know, I think it's very normal. It's a, a very common thing. Once you have a little bit of success that you should start getting this shiny object syndrome, you start looking at something that's just a little bit close to what you are already doing. And you start seeing zeros, you start seeing revenue behind it, and you lose perspective and appreciation for the hard work that it took to build up that successful business unit in the first place. We learned some hard lessons as a company after that. So now we are very dedicated to what our hedgehog is. We leave a very small percentage of what we do to be opportunistic. And I would just encourage those to be disciplined and to resist shiny object syndrome. 
Well, that is great advice, Greg. I think every business owner, entrepreneur has probably wrestled with that. And let that be your guiding light as you guys, you know, go on from this podcast and hopefully take some of the nuggets that, that Greg shared and let that be the stove that you don't have to touch, or at least that it tempers you a little bit uh, so you don't touch it maybe nearly as full handed and it's not as painful. So there you go. Thank you, Greg. That is your learn before you burn segment, which is how we close out our shows here. So Greg, uh, I want to say thank you again once more for being on the show. Everybody out uh, listening today, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, Greg's contact information, as well as some additional content that we're going to kind of force him to throw at us uh, from some of the real estate uh, versus stocks data that he's pulled. We'll, We'll go ahead and drop all that into the show notes, if that's okay, Greg. Yeah, sounds great. Cool. Thank you guys so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you guys next week uh, on the All Abouts podcast. Greg, thanks again for your time and more importantly for your friendship. Thanks, team. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content and we'll see you next week.